Welcome to the Gamers Change Lives podcast. Play games, create jobs, change lives. This is a show about how to build an esports business from literally anywhere in the world, where each week we showcase the journey of one inspiring esports entrepreneur and learn how they solved a particular problem that everyone will ultimately face. And now, to your host, Tom Leonard. Hey there, I'm Tom Leonard. I'm the host of the Gamers Change Lives podcast. When it comes to esports, I am definitely not the expert, but I'm an explorer. The goal behind this podcast is to hear from esports entrepreneurs around the world, to hear their stories, and to learn how esports can create jobs and to hopefully inspire others. Our tagline is play games, create jobs, change lives. And today I'm honored to have Sylvia Queen Arogathoni, Kenya's esports athlete, putting Africa on the esports map. Now, Queen Arrow is a fighting game superstar who's best known for playing Tekken 7. She's been a part of multiple organizations such as Exit Wounds. Exit Wounds, that's, that's one of the best names ever out there, Exit. XIT Wounds with a Z. And now UIU as a content creator. She also just recently graduated from law school in her native Kenya. Silly is well known for the, as the first African female esports professional. And I want to circle back to that later, but first I want to know more about you as a Tekken player. People pay money for you to play video games. I want that to sink into the audience. That's a dream of so many people, boys and girls, men and women. And you began your esports journey on a PS2, is that right? Uh, yes. Um, my dad got us, uh, me and my brother, uh, PS2. And my, some of my best memories at the time were, uh, playing games like Mortal Kombat, Tomb Raiders, uh, Tekken 4, um, King of Fighters. And I think an added bonus is, uh, I had a lot more time with the PS2 than my brother because he was in boarding school at the time. So it gave me more time to like practice and it, I got pretty good at, at the games, and I actually could beat my brother and his friends at the fighting games. Now, that's that's great. Did you play mostly with your brothers? Uh, yeah, I play, um, it was just me and my older brother at the time. My younger brother came along um, some a, a couple of months later, so it was just me and him and his friends and my cousin when he'd come around for the holidays. So, what what drew you to fighting games? Um. I think what drew me to fighting games is um as a kid and uh even as an adult I've always loved uh muscle arts. I've, I just I don't know there's something about uh it that draws uh, there's something about uh, martial arts that draws me to you know the form and the discipline that comes with training and you know being the best person that you can. So when it was, when I started playing fighting games, um, I think it was the same thing. Not to mention, um, I saw really badass women like Sonia, um, Shailim, uh, Ling Shayu and Christy Montero, who were not, you know, were role models for me. I didn't really see many badass women in the media growing up. So that, uh, I think that was also a part of what drew me to fighting games. Yeah, I think that's interesting that it, that it was the martial arts. Uh, so, do you practice martial arts? Um, I used to, and I still actually want. To, I actually want to continue once I have the time. Um, I actually did some taekwondo and karate growing up. No, I think that's. I think that's that's really interesting. You know, so many games don't lend themselves into real world activities, but with fighting games, that yeah, they really can. So, where 
when did you realize that you could turn pro, that you could actually make some money playing video games? Um, when I realized uh, that I could go pro was in 2017. Um, that's the first time I participated in a tournament and I came in fourth. Um, that was the Mortal Kombat 10 tournament. It was being held at the East African Gaming Convention. So um, I just joined uh, because I thought it would be fun. And I actually learned so much more to, you know, uh, tournaments and esports uh, rather than just mashing buttons. So it was, um, it was an interesting and eye-opening experience for me. And I, I realized that I also enjoyed the Russia. No, that's, yeah, I can imagine just the competition side of it. So um, do you like Tekken better than Mortal Kombat? Yeah, um, Mortal Kombat, I've never, I don't like it as much because I don't like the balancing of the game. I feel that there are some characters who are balanced atrociously, so it kind of puts, um, it kind of puts me off of it. Um, but for Tekken, it still has its, uh, balancing problems in there, but it has so many layers to the, so many layers to the game and, Every time that you turn on the game, you find that there's only something new to learn, and you know it keeps challenging you to, you know, go back to practice mode and lab. And as I said, there's the discipline that comes to training regularly and challenging yourself to learn from others, and even if it's difficult, because nobody likes losing. Um, but you know, there's that discipline and challenging yourself to be the best person, you know, the best person that you can be. You know, what I what I hear you keep saying is talking about um, discipline and uh, competition, and that's that's some of the things that that makes someone a better player out there. Do you do you play mostly these days? Do you play on console or do you play on PC? Um, I'm still on uh, console, uh, though I, I do plan on moving to um, you know, especially as uh, for someone like me who. Uh, travels a lot. I I prefer having something portable. So that's a uh, definite plan. Do you play many mobile games? Uh, mobile games. Um, I do play them. Uh, I play Gwent. I play Choices. Uh, which is a visual story. Um, mobile games. So yeah, but not as regularly as. Them. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just yeah. I've always I'm always fascinated by people who can play really well on mobile games because you it takes a different set of skills i usually play on uh, on ps5 or, or xbox here just because i don't like the little screen so uh, now you've already worked on been a part of other teams out there and that's what we want to talk about here on this episode is the teams so can you talk a little bit about what an esports team is and how it fits into the industry as a whole um okay i um i don't really have the the best language to describe an esports team, but I guess it's about, um, I'd say an esports team is a group of like, like-minded competitors, uh, in, in as much as they may be playing different games. At the end of the day, these are a group of people who enjoy competing and people who are putting resources, making sure that these competitors get the best of the best and, you know, become, um, you know, become some of the best players of the, um, while the people putting the resources in are getting value for their money. Uh, that's the best way to put it. And how it fits into the industry is, I, I'd say it provides a platform for, you know, for young people like myself to showcase themselves as some of the best players out there. No, I think that's a good way to, good, good way to think of it. Is there, um, 
what's the difference that you see between an amateur team and a and a professional team? Because I think a lot of people are are, are more familiar with getting together with a bunch of friends and playing on teams. But when it comes to a professional team, how different is that? Um, I guess a professional team is they have more resources in terms of uh, they're given the best peripherals, um, they're given jerseys to present the team. They are, you know, they're flown out, or you know, they even tra- you know they even travel within their own home countries in tournaments. Um, and I guess you know there's also that aspect that they have to put in time each and every day to perfect their craft. Yeah, yeah, training is it would be a completely different thing. Um, it, it'd be a, a part of your life there if you were on a professional team. I can imagine. Now, one of the things is in here talking about teams. I mean, you're definitely on the player side of of creating the teams. So, when you look at joining a team, let's say the teams that you've been a part of, how do you, how do you pick the teams? What do you look for when you're joining a team? Um. Okay. I can't speak for, you know, I can't speak for the rest of the teams that I've joined, but from my own perspective, um, first of all, I'd look at, you know, who the player is as a person, because I don't think you'd want to have someone um, problematic um, behavior, uh, behavior-wise on your team. Uh, number two, like, how would they work in a team dynamic? Um, are they willing to learn? Are they willing to put themselves? Um, now they're willing to put uh, time each day to become the best. Um, on top of that, uh, I'd say um, there's also the ambition, to be, you know, the, that ambition overall. Um, uh, you know, how how will they how how are they willing to come back from, let's say, you know, losing? Are they are they willing to reach out for help? Uh, yeah, that, those are just some of the things that look in a player. No, I think all that all that is really important. I mean, I, I like when you're talking about how how do they handle losing because everyone is going to lose, and some people are going to you know be able to take it and, and and learn from it, and other people are not going to be able to as much. So that that um, that is important out there. So when you're when you're talking about training, I wanted to talk a little bit, a little more detail on training because it, if someone is going to be a professional esports athlete how much time are they going to have to spend doing training um i think the training aspect um it depends on the individual themselves um when i was starting out because um i was really new to you know the finer details of Tekken, like movement character knowledge punishment and all that um i used to put in as much as eight hours a day uh though i realized later on that that's not really healthy um I was actually reading a book by Daigo the Beast. He's, uh, he's arguably one of the best street fighter players in the world currently. Um, he said um, he also had this uh, the same unhealthy habit of putting in too much time in the game, and it kind of also affected how he played in tournaments. Um, uh, at some point, it's up to you as the player to you know how much time do I really need to put in the game uh, in the game. And it's not always about the quantity of time that you put in. It's about the quality. Even if I'm putting like 30 minutes to three hours a day uh, into the game, not just playing, but also watching videos on YouTube of, of more experienced players and understanding how they, uh, you know, how they, you know, how they execute their own gameplay. Um, the quality is what really matters at the end of the day. So it's up to you to decide how much time do I really need. No, I think that, that that's a good way to look at it because it's not, and it's not going to be the same 
for every person. So you kind of need to figure out what works works for you. How much time do you spend? You mentioned watching YouTube videos. I think that's interesting. How much time do you spend in, in training, watching other people to learn from them? Um, nowadays, I actually make it a habit to try putting at least three hours um, because um, I'm actually currently pers- uh, doing my bad exams at the end of the year. So, you know, school is taking a bit of a pres- uh, precedent um, against my second time. But when I'm, you know, when I'm on the way to school, I watch YouTube videos of, you know, of people who use the same characters that I do in Tekken. And when I have some time off, I come, you know, I go to practice mode. I put in at least 30 minutes working on my movement and reviewing my gameplay and seeing, you know, what I need to work on going back to practice. Wow. Oh, I think that's a good way, a uh, good way to learn there. I like what you're talking about when you're talking about the quality quality of uh, of, the, of the training as well what about coaching do you find have you worked with coaches before that have been good oh yeah 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 i actually make it a habit to at least consult people who have more experience with it. um with my team they um i ask you know the more experienced players like how am i supposed to work on this uh with my own check-in community i do the same i ask um, how am i supposed to you know approach this situation in the game um, how am I supposed to approach this matchup? And I, as I said, um, even if I don't know the person directly, I also make it a habit to go through, you know, at least the gameplay and see, okay, this person is um, uh, approaching this uh, situation like this. Um, you know, I need to work on the, you know, this character's strong points. Maybe it's hockey, maybe it's movement, um, maybe it's the mind games aspect, uh, just to mention a so you'll look at an ind- a specific opponent, and you will try to to learn as much about what what their strengths are, what their weaknesses might be. So you you look at this on a match by match basis. Yes, uh, match by uh, match by match basis. And if something if it's a bit too hard, I go I, I ask uh, the more experienced players in the community or my teammates. No, that that's 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 good. That yeah. Yeah, because a lot of times you just think, well, you just train, you just play. But figuring out who your opponent is and their strengths because they are doing the same thing if they are good when uh, when coming up against you. What about outside of um, outside of training for the game? Is there any other part of your life that that you that, that leads to to training? You were talking about you know martial arts and things like that. Is there like any kind of health regimen that you do or anything that you think helps you out with esports? Uh, yes, uh, working out physically um, has become more and more important to me because um, contrary to what people think about people who play video games, um, be it casually or at a professional level, um, it's something that needs to be emphasized that we need to take care of our bodies because, you know, as it said, uh, your body is a temple and you need to take care of it. Because working out physically also does wonders for your mental strength. Um, it reduces stress, it keeps you refreshed, it keeps you happy. And, you know, a happy player equals better. So I've, I've made it a point to at least uh, work out, even if it's just uh, 30 minutes a day. No, no, a happy player. That's 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 a good way to uh, a, a, a good way to put it there. So you say you're... Uh, now, have you finished your law degree? Oh, yes. I finished my law degree last year. Right now what I'm doing is... Um, I'm doing my bar, you know, my bar training here uh, in Kenya. It's called the Advocates Training Program. 
um, once I'm done with that, uh, it means that I'll be eligible to be admitted as an as an advocate of the High Court of Kenya. And is that is that kind of a profession that you want to go into and you want to spend more time in than playing games? Um, not really. Um, I think what I do actually is more of working on regulation of microtransactions. Um, I also want to work on you know better protections for uh, for esports. Um, because I think contrary to what people think about the esports industry, it's not just um players who make the esports ecosystem what it is. We need more people in policy making. Um, we need more people who uh you know understand the business side, the marketing side of stuff. Um, you know we need uh people who create content like you know we need photographers, we need producers, just to mention. Some of the few areas we need to work on, um, and this is something that I want to do. But I think once I'm done uh, playing uh, in Tekken professionally, because I'm not. I, what I know is that I'm not going to be playing Tekken forever. At, at some point, I'll need to retire, and I think once I decide I'm done being a professional, like a professional esports athlete, um, I think I'll go into the legalist side of it because I know the experience that I'll have had by the time I'm retiring will be invaluable. I, re- I always liked the legal side. When I was working over here at Warner Brothers, some of my best friends were the people in the legal department because so much of what we did at uh, at Warner Brothers, everything had to go through legal and we had to get their approval for everything. And what was interesting was just to look at how they approached things and, you know, protecting the um, the the content that we owned and looking for potential problems so that we could avoid them from a marketing standpoint. Are there things that you've learned in your legal training that apply to your esports training? Um, yes. Um, okay. I think one huge part of an esports athlete like, is they're going to have to sign contracts. And, you know, I think one thing I've learned um, through law school is that you need to, you know, you need to take time to look through your, um, your contracts properly to make sure that you're not signing a bad deal. And, in the event that you're not able to fully like interpret the terms of the contract, there's no shame in that because um, you know um, there's some stigma kind of attached to like not knowing stuff, and I don't think that's anything to be ashamed of. You know, there's only you can always ask someone who's more in, um, experienced, be it in the legal field or someone who's been in the esports industry. And I also feel that what needs to be done is we need to break down. Uh, we need to have more knowledge as to you know what a good you know a good deal in esports looks like because we sign NDAs which I find really frustrating. We don't uh, you know it, other players may not know what a good deal looks like, how much uh, salary looks like, how much you know uh, how much time they're supposed to you know providing to the team, and it now you know it paves a dangerous path to exploitation of young talent. So we, yeah. So when you're talking about NDAs, what kind of NDAs are people asked to sign typically? Okay, I'm not, you know, I'm not really sure if I'm supposed to deliver, but okay, just speaking generally. Just what, what, yeah, yeah. Don't let me ask a question that you don't want to answer. Um, but what I'm interested here, if you're if you're a player and you're interested in turning pro, and you you may come across people asking you to sign NDAs. What what does that mean, and what should people be um, uh, maybe pay attention to in general? Um, okay, for from what I've uh, seen through other cases, uh, not particularly mine, 
um and here's my tendency like you're not supposed to reveal maybe the kind of salary that you get like maybe how much time you're supposed to be creating content for the team or how much you know how, how many tournaments you're supposed to participate in how much of the cut you know how much uh let's say if you do in a tournament like how much of the prize money should go to your sponsors and that stuff and yeah just um as i said it's still so much put behind in this so like i'm i'm not really sure like how much a place of paid and that kind of stuff and yeah just anything that uh seems off i keep telling uh, anybody who asks me about maybe their own contracts like trust your gut and if i don't have enough knowledge uh you know i refer them to someone who might be able to help them better so are there other esports attorneys out there that they can talk to Oh absolutely um there okay there's an if uh, there's an esports law firm in Canada in Ottawa uh there's a gentleman named Ivan Trud um he yeah he he does uh stuff in the esports uh, field um there's some there's another lady in California known as Ginny Do um she also owns an, an esports firm and she's done uh, incredible work um those are just some of the lawyers that I know of. Yeah, yeah, because it's so many, so many times. I mean, if you're a player and you're just starting out, maybe you, you want to play games. You're not there to. You don't have to want to have to worry about all the the the, the details that could could be really important for down the road. So, uh, so no, I think that the whole the whole concept of esports attorneys, esports law, is really interesting because also, I, I mean, the way it is around here, I mean, it's just it's not it's not well developed. It's not as developed as some other types of law. So there's always a lot more questions about what what needs to be done and what should be done and so on, which which I always think of as 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 being kind of uh, fascinating. Makes it a little more interesting that way. So didn't, didn't mean to quiz you on law there, but uh, I just think it's you come from a very interesting intersection of the law training and esports. So one of the things that, I wanted to talk a little bit about money. And just kind of like, you know, to be successful, a team, you know, the players, there has to be some money coming in. Now, one of the things I saw is you participated in the Red Bull hit the streets fighting game in a series in South Africa. So you've, you've been familiar with how sponsorships works. Um, do you have a feel for what expenses an esports team is going to occur, incur? Now, there's obviously travel, but are there other things that a team has to worry about paying? Um... Okay, outside of travel expenses, I know there's, you know, uh, there's a salary that um, a player uh, ought to be paid. Um, that's usually between the respective team and their own, um, uh, you know, and their own players. Um, I also know that teams should, at the very least, be able to provide for peripherals. And also, um, also they should be able to, as if, provide with, um, that's it. Okay, let's see. I, Yeah, for lack of a better word, like jerseys and other, let's say, you know, other, other player keys. Uh, those are just some of the expenses that I know of, uh, at the top of my head. No, because it's no. interesting because you, you, you've been the recipient of the, of the, uh, of the, the, the kit and so on. So that's um, things that, that not everyone would think of going in. Are most esports teams, are they funded by sponsorship? Um, yeah, um, a good, uh, good chunk of the ones that I know that are making big, like Cloud9, um, you know, they have their own, uh, sponsors like, uh, Rebels, they have, um, the other sponsors like 
Astro, there are sponsors like Razer. Yeah, it's all up to the team. You know, to, to what you know, what uh, how the the team itself and the the sponsors can mutually like benefit from each other. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Sponsorship is is the lifeblood of so much of esports, and even even players are sponsored. Are you sponsored? Have you been sponsored? Uh, yes, I've been sponsored. Um, I'm currently supported by UYU. Um, yeah, they've, uh, they've been supporting me since uh, 21. And could you describe, I, I saw that you were a content creator for UYU. Could you describe a little bit more what they do? Uh, yeah, UYU, um, it's arguably one of the best teams in the FDC. They've also begun uh, working in the, in the FPS with games like uh, Call of Duty and uh, Gears of War, just to mention a few. Um, so they've been sponsored. Uh, they, they, they're mostly like focused on the Japanese and the Korean and the North American markets. Um, yeah, but um, they they brought uh, they, they brought me on last year as a content creator because um, you know a lot of teams had to downsize uh, due to COVID affecting how business. Uh, have been working, but they've also been really supportive of my adventure, you know, my own personal adventures in the FGC here in Kenya and uh, generally in Africa. That's interesting. It's like you say they're they're focused mainly in Korea and outside of outside of Africa, but they they are they looking to do more in Africa? Is that why they wanted to make a connection with you? Do you think? Um, I'd presume so, but um, I, you know, I can't speak for you know for the founder of the team and. Uh, and associates, but yeah, um, bringing me on, I think uh, it was a good start because I hope they'll be able to do more for the African region, which they have, because um, they actually helped me host um, a, you know, a tournament, uh, a Queen of the Hill series, um, which I brought on my, you know, the Tekken community here. And I also did another stream with them uh, for Red, for people affected by the COVID pandemic. Yeah, yeah, just all kinds of opportunities there uh, for someone with a, a little bit of imagination. I wanted to talk for just a couple of minutes here about jobs. You, you were talking a little bit, and one of the things here at the the podcast, the Gamers Change Lives podcast, we always want to focus on the jobs that can be created really anywhere in the world with esports. And one of the things that we're always interested in learning is about, and and, and I liked what you when you were talking about the kinds of things, the marketing, the uh, the other types of activities out there from a team aspect what other jobs are there out there that you've seen um from a team aspect um I, there's also people who run social media for their respective team um there's the team managers um the people the times uh, coaches uh, actually had people who had uh, tons of tremendous experience in their respective games that the team might be working in so yeah, uh, coaches are, and also graphic designers. Uh, just to mention some of the roles that I've seen. That's good because yeah, I, one of the things that I, I always want to talk about here are just to give people the idea that there's more to esports than just the players. I mean, the players are just like the the most visible part of the team, but there's so many people behind them. Would Would you like to be a coach? Um, maybe. Uh, maybe in future, I'd like to get into coaching as well. Um, but I've never really considered myself a really good teacher. I think I'm more of a person who likes to observe and learn. But actively coaching, maybe that can change. But I'm not so sure as of. Would you Would you like to create your own teams? 
Um, creating my own team. Um, again, I'm not so too. I'm not sure. Um, as I said, you know, there's a lot that goes into you know running a team, and I honestly, have, you know, I give respect to people who have the courage to come out and start uh, such ventures. But I'm not sure if it's something that I'd like to do as well. No, I think it's good to know know to know your strengths, know what it is that you want to be doing, and I also like you describing. There's a difference between someone. There's a different skill set when it comes to someone who's starting a team, managing a team versus a player. And they're not always going to be the same person out there. So um, a lot of the jobs that, that you're, that you've seen out there, are they full-time jobs or are they part-time jobs? Um, I, I guess it's a uh, reliant on the team that, you know, the, the, the team and the resource, the kind of resources that it has as its command. Yeah. But the ones I've seen are mostly part-time jobs. Um, people love uh, other stuff that they're pursuing, uh, Outside of esports, and as you said, you know, esports is still a very it's a pretty niche kind of uh, it's a it's a pretty niche area. So I not many people would recommend like you know dropping everything to pursue esports. Yes, yes, and that, that's something you want to tell your parents. It's like I'm, I'm quitting school to join esports. Um, <laughs> so when you one of the things is like I also always like talking about doing esports in emerging markets and here in california i mean we're just we're just lucky we just you know we're able to create teams tournaments play games and you know everything seems to work and that's just not the case everywhere and i also was reading how you and i've heard you describe how you're interested in in developing esports supporting esports in africa and i was just curious if you what are the kinds of challenges that you face in esports as a whole, not just as a player, but in esports in Africa versus other parts of the world. Um, okay, for esports in Africa, um, I think one of the first challenges I face. Um, okay, not me in particular, but uh, those who work in the F, you know, who are pursuing FPS. Um, I know part of the challenges that they face are they don't have servers um, because a lot of the servers that are created are based in the EU and in North America, so. There's that issue of pin. Yes. So it kind of makes it difficult for them to, let's say, hone their talents and play at the highest level that they need because, you know, they can't compete uh, as well as uh, the rest of the world. And another issue is that now with such servers being created in the EU and in North America, it kind of gives the impression that there are no African, you know, gamers playing these games. So the developers just don't uh, go into, you know, go into the whole business of creating servers built for the African region. And yeah, that data is reflecting in those servers in the UN. Um, and as the best in internet infrastructure, um, for me here in Nairobi, uh, rather in Kenya, um, I think Kenya has some of the best internet um, in the African region, but it's still not as widespread as I'd like. So it kind of limits me to, let's say, on using one ISP that happens to spread out, uh, let's say, in my hometown, not in a room. Um, but that's actually, uh, that's something that's changing. Um, another thing is that, uh, with the, the high cost of peripherals, uh, something which is aggravated by living under a punitive tax regime. So maybe something like the PS5, which I should be paying $500 for, in the US. Um, if it's brought over here, I'm going to pay maybe twice as much 
twice or thrice the cost just to acquire it. Um, and I wish that's something that the government could work on to at least make sure that you know these peripherals are as accessible for young people at least also want to pursue these careers. Um, yeah, th- those are just some of the challenges that I face. And I think another one to add is um, I really wish that Africa could be more actively included in organizing some of these events. Um, I'm happy that uh, the publisher of the game te- of Tekken um, has been doing its best to actively involve the African region. Um, they did that with the Tekken World Tour in 2019. They held the uh, one of the stops in South Africa in Cape Town. Um, another stop that was added in 2020, but you know due to COVID. Uh, we couldn't see that come to fruition was um, Ivory Coast. Not um, to have Kyungo uh, Games as one of the stops to the Tekken World Tour. And I'm also seeing that Capcom has, uh, been, has been involved in South Africa um, in the Capcom Pro Tour, though I wish they could add more stops uh, like Nigeria and Tunisia and Algeria just to make that What about the cost of data? Is that, is that a a, a limiting factor for some people. Uh, yeah, um, depending on the you know the you know the service provider, data can be expensive and uh, especially out of touch for young people, especially those uh, I know who are involved in mobile esports. Um, you know, mobile games. You know, data makes it also quite difficult for young people to get involved. Yeah, yeah. Uh, previously, we talked to uh, we talked with uh, Kwesi Hayford and uh, Kofi Sika, and they, they, were, they had different ideas on uh, mobile games. Kwesi said that mobile games were not the future, and Kofi was saying that mobile games are the future. Do you think mobile games are the future? Um, I think I'm more inclined to agree with Kofi. Um, I feel that um, mobile games have a, high le- you know, a much higher level of penetration within the African market because um, smartphones are... Are, you know, they're more, I'd say, affordable as compared to getting yourself a PlayStation or a, or a PC. And, you know, with games like Call of Duty and PUBG having mobile versions of the game, and I hear Valorant is to have, you know, the, um, a mobile version uh, available across, um, you know, the Apple Play Store and the Google Play Store. I feel that young, more young, uh, young people will get more involved in esports and you know, I think soon enough we'll have more, more and more teams actually actively looking for you know, mobile game players, and also tournaments. Um, uh, you know, our big tournaments are also moving that direction to more mobile esports. Um, though I understand what question may be coming from. You know, um, I think the wider esports ecosystem is still yet to recognize mobile games fully. Um, you know, uh, if you're to talk about mobile games, to you know, I'd say people, you know, PlayStation and uh, Xbox and people, it's still looked at with some um, level of content. But I'm sure that's something that will change in due time. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's hard to say. I, I was a little actually a little surprised that Kwesi was like he was like you can quote me on this. He said mobile games are not the future. So if there's anyone that knows esports in Africa, it's Kwesi. So. Uh, Wanted to talk for a little bit. Now, I mentioned earlier you're one of the you're one of the first, if not the first, female esports athlete to come from Africa. Can you describe a little bit, maybe, of how your journey might have been different from the guys who play 
the same at the same level the guys that you beat um okay uh, to be honest this is some, isn't something i really enjoy answering uh, but... okay. don't 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 worry then i'm just i we're going to just ask you that but if, feel free if you don't want to ask that answer that because one of the things that i i think would be tough would be that that's how you're always introduced and that's that's why you know i'm more interested in talking to you about about talking to you about uh, being a, a team player and Tekken than then about that. So feel free if you don't want to answer, that's fine too. Um, I'm not saying that I won't, but I guess it's not something that I fully enjoy answering because, you know, this, it's something that's being used against me. And, um, you know, uh, people feel, you know, people uh, have reason to start getting the idea that they can speak from my own experiences without asking me how I feel about it. And not to mention that, you know, uh, this is part of why not many women really get involved in esports is because, um, you know, their gender is used as a reason why they shouldn't be involved. That if you lose the uh, tournament, it's because somehow your gender is 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 a fact. You know, your gender is uh, attributed to your skill level, or it's, or if you actually happen to outdo, uh, you know, the other men, it's you know, that's something that should be looked down upon. So there's no, you know, there's no way for someone to win. If that makes any sense. For a woman to win in this space, there's no, there's no good place. Do you think, do you think esports, do you think the participation of more women in esports can help in, in making, um, uh, getting more women into um, STEM type of programs, make more interested in, in, in science than, than maybe before? You think that's a positive aspect of esports? Um, uh, honestly, I think it's a mixed word. It's a, it's both a yes and a no. Um, honestly, I think the issue is that, um, okay, I think you know more women-oriented tournaments at a start. Uh, you know, as in catering to women to make sure that they have their own safe space to, you know, to learn and to participate without having to be undue scrutiny, backlash, and harassment. That's a that's uh, yes, but at the same time, I think the issue um, we're trying to circumvent the issue by ignoring the fact that it's a whole kind of toxic culture that has been enabled for quite a while, and it's not going to change anything soon unless uh, more action is taken against the perpetrators of these kinds of action. Uh, and, you know, these kind of nonsense. Who needs to take that action? Do you think? I think we. I think honestly, we we women need to stop being asked. You know, asked how we, you know, we how we get harassed, and then you start asking us for the solution. I think the issue needs to be asked. You know, the the question needs to be asked to the men why they do this, and I think because you the men are the majority, for lack of a better stakeholders in sports team. You need to take action against your fellow men who perpetrate this culture of um, harassment and misogyny. Do you think things are improving? I okay. Yes, there are more women who are being who are involved in this, but um, you know, every day I still have to see women who decide, you know, to turn away from the esports, the gaming and esports scene because of having to be a very toxic culture. So I can't honestly say for looking. No, it's, it, it. I mean, you have a you have a really good perspective on it uh, compared to. To most people, so it's just interesting to hear hear what you have to say about it. So we're kind of uh, wrapping up here. Um, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time. I really am glad to be able to talk to someone who's on the t on the player side 
of teams because we're always talking to people who are creating teams or creating tournaments and the players are set just such a integral part of uh, of the uh, of the whole ecosystem there i mean we just wouldn't have you know it, it, people watch people playing video games because they like the the they have a vested interest in the players in the characters they um in the players yes in the characters but in the players that are 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 um inhabiting those characters so i really appreciate you taking a little bit of time here today and i where can people find you on social media if you want if people want to follow you and learn more about you where's the best place for them to come and find you um okay on twitter i go by the name malika sihamin eight but he's just type quinaro for you uh because their spelling is a bit uh, weird um on instagram i go by the queen arrow 98 um on twitch and youtube again the queen arrow 98 and on linkedin you can just type in soviaga for me okay no no that's great i i, I do have one more little question where did the name queen arrow come from um queen arrow comes from my love of um the comic book character oliver queen and I was a huge fan of the arrow tv series uh season one and two um I took Oliver Queen's surname Queen and his pseudonym as the Arrow to come up with Queen Arrow. Got it. Got it. Now, when I worked over here at Warner Brothers, the the building that I worked in, the the CW was on the floor below us, and we would always get to see some of the stars from some of the CW shows show up in the elevator. It was always kind of fun. So that that, <laughs> that, that was a good show. That that was that was one of the better ones there. So again, I appreciate it, and for everyone that's listening. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can do that anywhere that you find the um, wherever you're listening to the podcast. Subscribe on Apple or Spotify or every place in between. Follow us on social media, and you'll be able to catch when we release the next episode. We're going to be talking about tournaments and how tournaments can create jobs. We're going to talk about all important sponsorship and how where where uh, some people have been very successful in sponsorship. We're going to talk a lot more. So. Sylvia, I really appreciate your time and uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Uh, Thank you as well.